You're listening to Real to Real. Yes, you are. Recesses Pop Culture Podcast. It's Will and Nina here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and today we're going to talk about some Halloween picks for pop culture, Ooh. music, and film. <laughs> we do a spooky intro. <laughs> you are listening to Real to Real. <laughs> Edit that and put that in the front <laughs> of the episode. You're gonna scare everyone away. Uh, so who should begin? I think I might have started last time, so... Okay, sure, I'll Because we start. always say, like, oh, well, like, <laughs> oh, no, I always go. start. Uh, no, I go. That's my turn. Yeah, go ahead. Um, okay, so I tried to... Well, I ended up picking some films I haven't seen in a minute, so I'm going to try to recollect them the best I can. So I tried to pick um, films I haven't really recommended around the Halloween season before. Um, like, not deep not deep cuts, like you've heard, maybe heard of these movies, but um, maybe ones you actually haven't seen yet. So... I'm going to start with a film called Green Room. It was uh, released in 2015, and it's directed by a guy named Jeremy Saulnier or Saulnier. Don't know There's if he's French, French or not. You know. um, what else has he done? Is it? Oh, not notable things. So... Interesting. Is he American or is he is he a? Uh, he's American. He's a foreigner. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's American. Because it would have been really interesting if he did a <laughs> like Nazi skinhead punk rock. Right. Movie. Oh, you're spoiling it. Okay, so. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I'll let you. <laughs> this is your pick. Go ahead. Um. Okay. So the film is starring. It stars Anton Yelkin. May he rest in peace. Um. Probably one of his last films. This right? was definitely one of his last feature films. I think it was the last one to be released while he was still alive. He had some posthumous ones, but definitely I think the last. Imogen Poots and Patrick Stewart, who, in fact, plays a neo-Nazi. Um, it's about a punk band, um, which Anton Yelkin's character is the lead of. They find themselves attacked by neo-Nazi skinheads after witnessing a murder at a remote club in the Pacific Northwest. Um, and the film came after Solnier's, that's, I'm going to say Solnier, his desire to direct um, a thriller set in a green room. So I don't know what about green rooms has like drawn been like exciting for him. I've never really hung out in a green room before. It's a very specific <laughs> setting to choose. <laughs> right. I don't know. So weird. But um it's a really it's a really interesting movie. So full disclosure, it is an A twenty four it's an A twenty four film. Oh uh, yes. <laughs> which that's sort of become clownable at this point. But I heard someone recently talk about the A twenty formula. For, uh, oh, right. For horror, which um, has become kind of a thing. I was clowned by someone who said, um, oh, I watch her A24 movies and stoner comedies. And I said, you're god dang right. <laughs> um, I mean, it's impossible to escape at this point. Like, and like, okay. Also, they're, they're like, like, and they're good. I mean, like, they're f- like, right? I, I mean, better. What is the other option what, now? Disney? Is like, I don't Marvel, you know. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, you got remakes and then you've got A24. So it's got That's the A24 it. formula in that it is super hyper stylized. Um, it's got really beautiful cinematography. It's very dark. Um, and like basically the, the plot sets off pretty fast once it gets going. 
Um, and there is a lot of gore. Not consistent, but like when it happens, it's like, oh, I'm going to vomit. Um, at one point, a hand must be hacked off. Um, dogs start mauling people. Uh, so the skinheads really want this band to die. And um, it's very, it's like a very authentic, I would say, or like a, it's a, it's a horror film that's not like, it doesn't have like the horror movie magic or like the, the, the sort of fabricated thrills. There's no like, is he dead? Oh, he might come back to life. Like whatever. It's like, you, they'll just be like running and then someone gets like shot in the head and you're like, right. oh, there they yeah. go. That's over for them. Um, so the, the whole film is just basically like this man getting picked off one by one. It's very, it's very gruesome. And then it has like the sort of like tongue in cheeky comedy, I guess that's sort of a hallmark of, of an eight, of an eight twenty four film. But so yeah, that's all to say that it's just not, it's not like a typical like mainstream Horror movie. Horror movie, yeah. I mean, it got um, rave reviews from what I remember. Yeah, it's very, like, again, it's got, like, a super grotesque element to it. And I think, that, honestly, that seems to be a hallmark of a lot of, like, horror films these days is going for, like, really trying to the make body people physically ill. Yeah. Physical, like, um. Yeah, and it's become, like, less cutaways, more, you know, full frame of just some horrible horrible thing happening. I wonder what that says about us. <laughs> yeah, I... This is coming from a Tarantino on, fan, too. I, I know. Well, that's the thing, is, like, Tarantino does a lot of practical stuff. Um, things that, like, look, you know, like, sure, in Kill Bill, there's a whole shot of a guy getting an axe thrown in his forehead. But, but it like, doesn't look that real. That looks so stupid, right. and it's and that's such kind a, of the like, point. like, yeah, stupid yeah. sound effects and whatever. The whole point she is She gets it, her, like, uh... Scalp chopped off yeah, and killed it. That, that really was a Hattori Hanzo. Yeah, and you can totally tell that that's a cap on top of Lucy Liu's actual head because it's like two inches taller than a real head. <laughs> um, so it's stuff like that. Yeah, it's not as you're like, oh, teehee. And maybe maybe the real real vulnerable, easily upset stomach would be like, Meh. yeah, I don't know. It doesn't. But, I mean, like we I saw mean, the lighthouse yesterday. Yes, yeah, another saw the one of those day twenty four. And I was like physically movies. recoiling. Yeah, no, I didn't. But for some reason, it doesn't get to me. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I was literally being a baby in the seat next to you. I was like, like it's Ugh. almost there's a comical element when someone gets like, yes, is, is, yes. Maybe. But I think I, I need. I think I need more, <laughs> uh, William. I think I need more. I think I need more. Comedy, a little more nuance, or like a little bit, uh, not nuance. It's nuanced enough. It's sure, real sure. enough. But I need a little bit more. Lightheartedness, maybe, maybe, yeah, it is a stupid sound effect or something. Well, when it's in the context of, I mean, you can play it for slapstick, you know. Sure, sure, um, and I guess that's what the film did maintain that sort of kind of lightheartedness throughout. But I don't know, uh, yeah, just like and hearing like a squelch or like just uh, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah I so mean, it's it's gross. Like that eraser head uh, sound design. <laughs> I almost picked a razor head for one of these, but anyway, it's a it's a it's a tight ninety minute. There's just like this joke on on cinema, you know, my newest obsession. Uh-huh. This is what I want this podcast to be. Um, but like the it's basically you know it's basically a rag. It starts off as like a rag on the film industry, and um, it's just like Greg always says like the film's runtime as if it matters at all, but it kind of <laughs> does. Um, because I'm I've said this before, I'll say it again. I'm always impressed by a tight ninety minute tight run 90, that yeah. feels longer. And this yeah. movie, you want it to end so bad because you're like, please let the horror stop. <laughs> please let these little kids live that um, it just feels. I think a lot of the best horror movies are like tight 92 because once you get into two hours and it's like, right, you've got I like need, plot and stuff. You start doing and twists. Like, 
Yeah. Yeah, like trying to do character yeah. development. I mean, it chapter two. I know we've stop. invoked we that movie one to too many times on this podcast, but <laughs> we two and a half hours and mm-hmm. none of it was deserved. No, not at all. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's that's my first pick. What's your first pick? Uh, so my first pick is a very interesting story in music mm-hmm. uh, about a guy named Scott Walker. That not the governor. No, not the governor of Wisconsin. Have but, I like, uh, said this before? We might have. I don't know if I've, I don't think that I've talked about Scott Walker on this podcast. Okay. But I might be wrong. Okay. <laughs> can go back into Keep the going. archive and see if I have. Uh, I don't think I've told a story yet because it's very interesting. He started okay. basically as a 60s like teen pop star in this band called the Walker Brothers. Um, okay. I, I forget if they were actually his brothers or if his last name is actually Walker. Okay. But he was in this band with them. I think he's American, but he was kind of like a expat who's basically British. Like T.S. Eliot? Yeah, you know, one of those Hemingway and Fitzgerald. No, but they were like still American for all intents and purposes. Yeah, so he's described, Scott Walker is described in Wikipedia as American-born British singer-songwriter. So I think he sort of adopted a British identity. Um, and Ew. specifically, I want to talk about his album, The Drift, which was, I think, his 10th studio album released in 2006. So he was like... 70 years old or something. Oh, wow. Um, so he's interesting because he started making this sort of like basic pop music in the 60s, and then his output got progressively weirder and more avant-garde and experimental. And The Drift is definitely kind of the culmination of that. Uh, at that point, he'd been in the industry. Industry. I mean, he'd been like, <laughs> he's almost the opposite of, the opposite of like an outsider artist where like he started on the inside and then he like got weird and like, ended up very much on the outside. Yeah. Uh, and so even in his early stuff, you can actually hear some of the unsettling, like sort of atonal quality that he ended up going for. So it was more kind of like experimental classical music, like, I don't know, John Cage or something. I haven't listened to enough John Cage to know if that's a good okay. <laughs> comparison. But um, All right, checks out. Uh, like It's Raining Today was one of his early hits. And on the surface, it kind of sounds like a typical like crooning ballad song but then there's also this in the background throughout the whole song there's kind of these creepy atonal strings and if you know the 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 composer Pendereki who did like Threnody for the victims of Hiroshima it was used in Twin Peaks season 3 it's kind of like a it's a classic uh I learned about it like it's one of those things you learn about in like music theory in high school because it's like well some of us geeks did not <laughs> non geeks I'm well, sorry did not take music theory it's kind of like it's just like the most like um when you think of like how would you musically express like horror and dread like this piece is how you would do it and david david lynch used it a couple years ago to depict like the the nuclear bomb in twin peaks season three and it was originally composed for the victims of hiroshima so it's kind of conjuring up this image of disruption yeah destruction and stuff um and i don't know for sure if scott walker was inspired by this but it's definitely kind of what he's his sound starts going towards. So this is what you're bumping on Halloween. Oh yeah, <laughs> but it, it gets better. It gets better. Okay. Um. So, uh, the drift was one of his final albums. I think he released one more before he died earlier this year. So he died in March. Rest in um, peace. Someone death. But the drift is a very scary album to listen to. It's one of the few like it's very hard to be like scared by music alone. Like, it's, you can be scared by, like, music paired with film, you know, that can be very effective. But, like, sure. if you're just listening to music in your headphones, you're not going to, like, jump out of your seat or something. But this album will, like, actually do that. It took him, like, ten years to write it. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it's kind of a mix of his, like, spooky, like, lyrics. His voice just sounds like this man is, like, in constant pain. 
Okay. Uh, really good at expressing anguish. And the subject matter is also, like, kind of willfully just, like, dark and disturbing. So the song Jesse, probably the closest thing to, like, a normal, like, verse-chorus-verse song on this album, uh, is about Elvis Presley's stillborn twin brother. What? Jesse, and it's sung from his perspective, like... Why? From, like, beyond... Beyond the the veil of did death. Did Elvis Presley appreciate that? No, he was, was dead. I mean, <laughs> did his estate appreciate that? Uh, and it also invokes 9-11. So <laughs> it's like he talks about like towers Jesus. burning in the night and like uh, just very like unsettling imagery. And it's all sung from the perspective of this like dead baby who's like. Uh, Stop it. Stop. Or is it sung from the perspective of Elvis? I can't remember which. Oh. But either way, it's kind of like this communication between like Jesse, the twin brother, and Elvis, and kind of like a commentary on America being like this dark, corrupt place. Anyway, um, and it doesn't really get much lighter than that on the album either. Uh, the song Clara is references the mistress of Benito Mussolini, who was assassinated uh, at the end of World War II. Uh, Mussolini, as you know, is the Italian dictator. <laughs> so he's yeah. Thank you for this. Yeah, <laughs> he also talks about. I think there's like a Bosnian massacre that he references at some point. What? But it's like like obviously these are very I don't know references that could turn very corny and like pretentious if you use them in a certain way. Sure. But this album is so it's like so visceral and like unsettling to listen to that it never really feels that way. And like his lyrics, while they're disturbing, aren't really like the. They're just part of the sound that he's building. Like, a lot of the unsettling parts of this album are, like, how it goes from, like, eerie quiet to, like, these loud bursts of noise. Uh, I heard a story that he had, like, his percussionist hit raw pieces of meat for one of the songs. So, like, the sound you hear, you, like, think it's drums or something, but it's, like, giant, like, pieces of, like, steak or, like, cows in a slaughterhouse. So it's not vegan. (laughs) No, this album is not vegan. (laughs) Um, Trigger warning. Neither are films. Uh, 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 Most films are not made on cellulite anymore okay sure but uh so. how many films that you've listed <laughs> greener was probably digital i guess but yeah. maybe some of the older no, older yeah. horror cuts uh yeah but that's scott walker it's a very creepy album wow i don't listen to it very much because it's <laughs> it sounds heavy it's pretty heavy <laughs> oh you don't listen to atmospheric bomb dropping backdrops <laughs> all the time famine is a tall tall town a building left in the night Jesse, are you listening? It casts its ruins and shadows On the Memphis moonlight My second pick is an equally weird, I would say, film as your to greener as your or music, my pick. no as your okay. weird choice. Okay. Um, this is called Possession. It was released in 1981, and the director's name, which I will butcher, is Andre Zulavsky. <laughs> Although Andre ends with a J, so maybe I'm saying it wrong. No, Andre, Andre Zulavsky, Andre Zulavsky. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, he's probably dead, so he won't, he won't hear this. It's so it's a it's a French German collaboration film. Starring Isabel Adjani, who is a very talented actress. By a Polish director. Wow. And I forget what nationality she is, but she's been in a lot of international and like American films. Um, and Sam Neill of Jurassic Park fame. This was pre-Jurassic Park. Um, and it like 
even Wikipedia says that the plot obliquely follows, like it very loosely follows <laughs> um, the relationship between an international spy, yes, a spy, and his wife, um, which is Sam Neill and Ajani, um, who begins, the wife begins exhibiting increasingly disturbing behavior after asking him for a divorce. Um, so he like comes home from Berlin on like an espionage trip and she's As like, one does. I want a divorce. And he's like, oh, it's good. It's loved because it's very, I, hmm, how do I put this? <laughs> Did I like understand all of it on the first sitting? No. <laughs> Again, are you like supposed, you supposed to? to? I don't Probably think not. so. I think you're just supposed to feel things. And what I felt was confusion and um, distress because like when it says that she starts just, you know, exhibiting disturbing behavior, it's like. Um, there's this really famous scene from it in which she is getting off of a subway and she's like walking through the subway tunnel and um, she starts just screaming and, you know, violently bashing her groceries against the wall and like, you know, flouncing around and doing crazy things and screaming, a lot of screaming and um, she's having a miscarriage. And it's like, oh, that's what's like no one's telling you that's what's happening, but you kind of gather later, like she, she miscarries oh, okay. and there's like this weird white milky thing that starts coming out of all her orifices. And, um, yeah, very weird, <laughs> very weird. <laughs> um, if you want to get intellectual with it, uh, possession is sort of this metaphor of a divorce. It's sort of like a bigger metaphor for like the cold war, which was taking mm. place in Berlin like a, the, largely visible in Berlin at the time with Berlin Wall. Uh, it's interesting, too, that like Germany and France were in relationship for this film because I'm pretty sure they're on different sides of the Cold War. <laughs> well, I think it's France and West Germany, so they were like... Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, wait, which one was West? West was the, the, good the capitalist one. one, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, don't say... Don't put, don't put capitalist in my mouth when I say <laughs> good. Okay. <laughs> All right. I guess I'm valuing... Uh, <laughs> All things considered, yes, that's the good one. Um, <laughs> high school AP government taught me <laughs> East US equals history. bad, West equals good. No, US history, world history. Yeah, yeah, that uh, capitalism's good, communism's bad. Um, anyway, so it's like very, it, there are lots of intellectual things to take away, but if you're like stupid like me, who can't tell the difference between East and West Germany apart, um, it's just a scary movie. I mean, like, scary. Like, at one point, I think she has intercourse with, like, this goblin-y thing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's very weird. She's just, like, wandering around an empty I'll house. i And you're like, how'd you get there? Um, that seems to be a theme with the a lot of yelling. horror movies. Like, uh, and that's what, like, I always... I don't think a film should be necessarily gotten always on a first watch, but... Or gotten, you know, like... Or gotten, period. It's the thing, like, we talked about Christopher Nolan yeah. movies are made to be gotten. <laughs> right. And, yeah, no, I don't think anyone sort of cares about unlocking the secret to this. And, like, there can be intellectual reads, sure. But I think just more than anything, and, you know, maybe that's what Halloween is all about. It's just about getting scared. <laughs> getting all freaked out. Getting yeah. pushed out of your comfort zone. Um, and, yeah, that's the thing. is I can't remember, like, a lot of specificities about this movie except for, like, what it made me feel. What you mean, yeah. Wow. And that's also just sort of, I mean, Isabella Gianni. Uh, Johnny, sorry, I keep saying it wrong. Again, I'm such an Anglo. It, <laughs> she's just very talented. Um, and so, like, this is also kind of a film where the actress carries it. Mm -hmm. um, Which is not usually the case with horror movies, you might say. 
No, like I historically, mean, the big weakness with horror movies is the like women. the lack of acting. Well, acting, <laughs> I was gonna say, <laughs> that, but also the women. And also the know. women. There has been um, like a. This was, I mean, ahead of its time, I suppose. But there is a huge like um, resurgence yeah. or like well, insurgence of. Well, I was gonna say the women. thing about a twenty four is like, well, yeah, with Tony Collette <laughs> bringing it full circle. Like, yeah, uh, I mean, and just the, the fact that having a horror movie where like acting and story aren't just like a like a second thought. Yeah. Um, and it's not, because a lot of horror movies, you know, even, like, the classic kind of cult ones, like, mm-hmm. Suspiria is, like, the story is bad, the acting's bad, yeah. but you love it because of the, the visuals. The atmosphere. The cinematography, the atmosphere. Goblin score. And, like, the gore and the scares. Yeah. And so, yeah. kind of, like, WTF of it all. Yeah, of course. That's the thing, if I'm sitting there and I'm like, the... WTF, <laughs> but I'm still into it, that's yeah. what I'm filtering the Whereas White Whereas A24 is, yeah, it's, like, WTF, <laughs> but, like, but also, uh... But, wow, beautiful. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, no, but... I wish I had more intellectual things to say about it, but I would like, to, I, I should definitely rewatch it, but um, freaking, you know, foreign filmmakers. No, yeah. Once I mean, you these step foreign, out of America, things are going like, cray-cray. Low-budget horror can get, get pretty wild. I know, especially <laughs> Germans. For my second pick, I want to look at not just like a single album or song, but mm-hmm. a kind of genre. I want to survey a genre more broadly. Mm-hmm. Um, and specifically, that's the this kind of wave of like minimalist dark synth pop that cropped up in like the early 1980s okay so a lot of this stuff it's very just like fit for halloween it's kind of marked by uh this like austere bass driven beats um kind of related to like industrial music it's kind of hard to narrow it down to any single genre but uh whether you call it like dark wave minimal wave or synth wave there's definitely like an aesthetic and specifically, there's been a couple of labels recently that have been putting out a lot of this style. Mm-hmm. Uh, Minimal Wave Records being probably the most prominent one. And also Dark Entries, which is known more for releasing uh, the stuff from Patrick Cowley, who was a pioneer, disco pioneer from the 80s. Uh, Link but they also kind of uh, <laughs> They also kind of uh, delve into to this type of thing. And so I guess to give you an idea of the sound, I feel like New Order's Blue Monday is probably kind of like the biggest like mainstream manifestation of the sound so like the kind of like austere bass line and the kind of like disaffected vocals yeah and it's sort of like uh in seven minutes long seven minutes long but a lot of these like the ones that minimal wave released are these kind of long lost cassettes by these like basically what would now be like a bedroom band or something okay uh but they were making these songs with like primitive drum machines and synthesizers inspired by people like New Order, Joy Division, the Human League. Uh, and so Oppenheimer Analysis is one of the, the big artists in this genre. Oppenheimer? Yeah. What so is it's with you a, and bombs? And nuclear. <laughs> you know, when we talk about Halloween oh, and horror, God. I mean, the horror of the nuclear bomb is... Uh, <laughs> I'm here to guilt you all into <laughs> caring about the real horrors of the season. <laughs> Yeah, I, I didn't realize that just how much I was gonna go into uh, the U.S.'s nuclear nuclear war. <laughs> well, someone so, has but, to uh, hold us accountable. Huh? <laughs> but Oppenheimer analysis is interesting because it was named for Robert Oppenheimer, and I think the singer, his last name was Oppenheimer too. So it was just kind of like a funny coincidence. Crazy coincidence. And all of their songs are like nominally about 
the nuclear bomb. So like one of the songs, I think directly quotes Robert Oppenheimer, like after he saw the bomb drop and he was like, I am become death destroyer of worlds. So, but it's really not the <laughs> lyrical content that makes it spooky. I think it's more just like the kind of dark vibe that hangs over all of this. Bad vibes. Bad vibes. Vibe great vibes. Really? Oppenheimer vibes. <laughs> vibes tech? on this are very, uh, very spooky, very dark. Yeah. Um, when you dropped that nuclear man, bomb, yeah, the vibes were way off. Vibes were way off in 1945. <laughs> <laughs> another, another artist I want to highlight is a group called Das Kabinett, and okay. who, uh, which is the cabinet in German. <laughs> oh. <laughs> It is? <laughs> um, das Kabinat? <laughs> but uh, they're, they like basically, and there's kind of a gimmicky, like campy thread to all of this too. They like sure. made uh, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, which is kind of a classic Stop. like. Stop. Uh, I don't know what country it's from, but the one of the Portlandia skit. Do you, do you know that skit? No, I don't where think it's so. the count. What is it called? The, the cabinet of Dr. The, Caligari. Yeah, Caligari. <laughs> I'm so sorry. There's this entire skin of Portlandia where she's like doing Netflix when it was DVDs and she gets a DVD delivered and she watches it and she goes to return it to the mailman and he's like, oh, you're using Netflix? You have to um, get rent this movie called The the Cabinet of Dr. Dr. Calgary. Calgary or whatever. And she's like, okay. And he like forces it on her. And, be, and then... <laughs> She, oh, is that the one where the curse she gets broken? Yeah, and it's, like, oh, okay. it's like the curse. It's like the that curse makes is, sense. It's like, like, the curse has been lifted. And then she becomes the postman and she has oh. to go get the movie. Okay, I'm yeah. sorry. Anyway, I think it's one of those like 19... It's I'm going to get it wrong. But, like, it's like easily clownable is like the the bottom line of this. Sure. <laughs> one of those like old like silent horror movies, I think. Yeah. Um, so they basically made an entire like song and I think the entire album is basically about this. So it's like a concept like... Uh, the song The Cabinet is probably the most indicative of it because yeah, it's kind of this cabinet. like horror. It basically, the lyrics just explain the plot of the movie, okay. um, which is kind of like, a, from what I understand, kind of a Frankensteinian horror mystery type thing. Other groups that sort of embody this sound, Crash Course in Science, which I think was a Philadelphia group. So basically all these random, like uh, mostly like cassette-based groups from the 80s that we're never going to achieve mainstream prominence, but kind of had this whole this whole subculture of like kind of dark minimal synth pop, uh, which I think is very fit for Halloween. Um, mm-hmm. And you can sort of hear the influence today with artists like John Mouse, probably the closest person doing that kind of sound now. The really minimal, okay. dark stuff. Uh, yeah, but that's that's my second pick. <laughs> a girl walks home alone at night is that what it's called 2014 yeah 2014 um it's the debut film of anna lily amrapur it is an american film that was shot in california but it quote takes place in um, iran in tehran and um, the language is Farsi. Um, all the characters speak Farsi in the film. But it's very interesting. So it's a film about a vampire, a vampiric girl, 
the girl who walks home alone at night. Um, and it's sort of just, yeah, it's like, it's, it's very quiet. And it's a lot of shots of her kind of wandering the city. The sort of like, you know how Blade Runner made L.A. look not L.A.? <laughs> it's like yeah. Neo Tehran. It's very interesting. You can tell kind you're like, cyberpunk this version doesn't look, of Iran. yeah, you're like, this doesn't look really like I, this takes place in Iran. Um, but that's what's kind of cool about it. So it, it really like, it's all in black and white. And the filming isn't like, you can tell it's not super high budget. She really plays with this sort of duel between a lot of Western cinema, like visual references. So people have likened it to something maybe by Jim Jarmusch or even Sergio Leone. Like it's sort of, it, it's been called like a, I think it's a Persian Western, like the first ever Iranian Western. She also sort of taps into this like Eastern cinema, like that people have also compared it to Abbas Kiarostami. And again, like the people do speak like Farsi and her like outfit as she wears this like little stripe, like long sleeve, black mm-hmm. and white striped t-shirt. <laughs> she kind of looks French. Um, and but she wears this veil. And so that too, that's also playing with sort of right, like women must wear the veil in, in Iran. Right. The main male character, he is dressed uncannily like James Dean. And, you know, he looks like he just walked off of an oil rig in Texas, but they're not in Texas. And it's just very, it's um, it's not super, like, violent or gory or anything like that. There are, like, the outbursts of violence, um, like, when she does feed. There's this one great scene where the, she brings home this guy in, like, a tracksuit. <laughs> he's, like, a total douche. And he's, like, cutting up coke in her house or whatever. Um, and she starts making, like, she's going to, you know, do sexual things with him. Uh-huh. And she, like, sticks his finger in her mouth and then she bites it off. Uh. Um, so it's, it's, it's also, it's, it's such a... And at times it's very overt, but it's so it's not so subtle. But it's it's an it's a version of the sort of prototypical vampire film, which is usually very masculine and about you know I don't know if you've ever heard of Interview with a Vampire, but it's like Brad Pitt being shirtless and like biting. Oh the yeah, whole time. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like because like Twilight, whatever. Like vampires, just like sexy men, like whatever. Who <laughs> just like want to like kill women? I don't know. Um, so it's definitely like you can tell she's toying with that idea of like a woman being in charge, a woman just even being a part of this lore, a Middle Eastern woman being mm-hmm. a part of this like vampiric lore. And it's like pretty, I mean, I don't think it um, was ever like really widely like accoladed or anything. Like I definitely like saw it like, yeah, like in an indie theater with a bunch of old people. Um, <laughs> but I think it has its place. It's not like incredible. Like I don't, it's not Oscar worthy. <laughs> Oof. But it's worth being on this list. It's worth being on this list. It's just like, I mean, for first of all, how many movies are directed by women, period, <laughs> that actually get any sort of recognition? And um, she definitely like has an eye, I think, for genre, for horror, for films that uh, that break boundaries, if you will. <laughs> Let me get intellectual here for a moment. She really defies genre. <laughs> Subverts the genre. Alex Trebek saying genre. <laughs> Have you seen that? Oh no! <laughs> There's a compilation of how Alex Trebek says genre, genre. on Jeopardy, and it's like genre. Um, yeah, that sounds like the most the real uh, Frankophile stupid film it. critic thing ever. But really, I mean, it just goes to show to me how all the like new filmmakers, like very contemporary filmmakers, especially ones that are more independent, are feeling encouraged to make movies that don't fit in molds. That's cool. Mad respect. This one, this last one is not about the bomb. Okay. Uh, my well, last pick. I'm disappointed. <laughs> yeah, no, no, couldn't go for consistency here. Damn it. Uh, but it's funny that you mentioned the the kind of 
subverting the trope of like the men in horror movies because I think yeah. of the 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 evil woman trope is definitely like a as much a horror trope like the yeah I mean evil woman who like will tempt a man and then you know and then kill them or something right lead them to their well death. she's also not to get all Laura Mulvey on you but she's also usually the subject of no a male exactly game. I think the yeah. difference here is that she is the protagonist I guess you could say yeah but uh, one of the songs that I'm about to talk about uh, so I'll talk about the band the Sonics because they actually have a few songs hey, I know that them. would be a candidate. Uh, I think I might have talked about this track a couple years ago when we did one of our Halloween features. That's my, might but, be why I know this. <laughs> uh, the Witch is like yes. their most famous song. Right. Uh, released in 1964. And it's totally like, uh, it's like, she's an evil chick. She's the witch. It's like, yeah. the, is like the, oh, the, the hook of it. Um, so it's definitely, it's like if the, the movie that you just described were like right. exclusively told from the male perspective. Okay. It's essentially what the song is because it's like okay, she's got long black hair and a bl- big black car and like you need to watch out for her because she's going to like she's going to ruin you watch and she's going to kill you because she she's a witch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's kind of a playing on this classic like this classic horror trope. No, what just, you're saying <laughs> reminds me of I've never actually seen it but Anna Biller's The Love Witch. I was also thinking of that when you yeah because yeah. that's another uh, It's very intentionally corny and I think I you talked got, about that I got in real, a real lot world. of cringe from it yeah because it's totally stylized yeah i haven't i watched like the first like 20 and it's new but it's sort of like shot on it's It's like 35 and it's supposed to be very like recollective of um it's like female gaze right older cinema yeah i watched like 20 minutes and this is bad but i was just like "Mm, i wasn't feeling it so i just like turned (laughs) it off that's okay i know (laughs) can't like them all you're valid (laughs) but it's yeah because she was trying very hard to be like pulp Mm -hmm. and like b-movie and like bad acting and i was like yeah no yeah then it's just like that's just like uh like it's not yeah a, I was like I don't like this intentional camp yeah you can't intentionally I like yeah. a naive camp that's please. my issue with Wes Anderson I think shut it's like up the, it's just so intentional so contrived well I'm gonna kill you <laughs> <laughs> if Will goes missing after this you know who did it well he first has to edit this and you put it, it online here. and then he'll go missing <laughs> uh, yeah but the Sonics were uh, big yeah. big Halloween boys <laughs> during their time I feel like wow. uh, they were one of the first garage groups like garage rock I guess okay. um, they are one of the first to kind of push it like in the red as they say uh, which refers to like the meter when you're recording going in the red I think we've been doing that this whole <laughs> well yeah <laughs> Oh yeah, we just went in the red. Uh, so the idea yeah, is like you just yelled into the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> you push, you push the recorder like past its, and that's how you get kind of the fuzzy, like fuzzed out sound. That's bad. No, but if it's in punk, it's great. <laughs> so they they intentionally did that, okay. um, and they were one of the first groups, I guess, to kind of embrace that more distorted, aggressive sound. Sure. Uh, the witch you can add to the annals of like parents in the 1960s getting freaked out Aww. about songs because I think it was banned on a few radio stations because they were like. This is vulgar, you know. Uh, like this, it was just too too aggressive. And uh, here, are the Sonics was their 1964 debut, super influential in the development of punk more largely. They also have a song called Psycho, which you can sort of guess what that's about. Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> and a song called Strychnine, which Strychnine is a very lethal poison. That's also one of their most famous ones. And the the lyrics are like, "Some folks like water, some folks like wine." But I like the taste of straight strychnine. That's so edgy. So he's like, I love, I like drinking poison, <laughs> is what he's saying. John McElwee, is that you? John, John B. McElmore. B. McEl- or John, John B. McElmore. Sorry, this is a reference John to another B. podcast. John B. McElmore. They don't uh, need my plug. This is for This American Life. <laughs> <laughs> That's a podcast. You maybe haven't heard of it. 
anyway, well, that's the Sonics quintessential rock band. Great for Halloween. It's kind of got that like uh, like Halloween like boogie classic sound. I feel like Halloween sock hop, but but punk. <laughs> <laughs> Halloween sock hop. <laughs> it's like Monster Mash if you just took it like to way too far. Yeah, to eleven. <laughs> Wow. So, yeah, so our recommendations are bomb-dropping music and, and <laughs> lots of screaming and, <laughs> and a miscarriage in a subway. Miscarriage in a yeah. Wow. That well, squares. Please take us up on these recommendations. Happy Halloween. She's an evil too. Say she's the way. 